0: My wife was with another and uh, they were having lunch and my wife was sharing the word and some things about women from the scripture and she asked my wife, you really believe that? You better put that thing down. There's a lot of people who say that they're Christians but don't believe the word. They don't believe it, and sadly to say, they don't live it. But to live a Christian life, you have to be trained in it. How many of you would like to have a doctor to do surgery on you who hasn't been trained? How would you like to have a technician come into your home, work on your air condition, or work on something of yours that have not been trained? Have no knowledge of it. How many of you would like your children to be taught by somebody with only a fourth grade education? See, there's a lot of things we reject in the secular world. But we've also brought that over into the spiritual world. So I caught myself praying this way this week because we're leaving the book of Revelation and we're going to do a study now on the Holy Spirit. And I said to the Lord in my prayers, and now, Lord, I don't want to look foolish or crazy because some of this stuff sounds very mystical and, and, and way out here somewhere. And I said, Lord, I don't want to look foolish up here now. Try and explain something to your people. Then a verse came to mind that Paul says, we are fools for Christ. The world looks at Christianity as foolish. As foolish. Many Christians are embarrassed by this thing called Christianity. Christianity. Therefore, we don't fully own it or buy into it. And unless you are willing to allow the Holy Spirit to really work in your life, and as the last song made the statement, we are not our own. And really understand that, that we are not our own. Own, but we've been bought with the price the blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and that the Holy Spirit has a work to do in us now he is the silent one of this Godhead or Trinity he's the silent one he won't boast of himself his main purpose is to really glorify the Lord Jesus Christ and to teach us. So in the next few weeks, maybe a little longer, boy, I started off with three pages that I boiled down five, down to three. And this morning, boy, I got it down to two. I'm trying to do like my wife said, you don't have to do it all in one sermon. She's a good counselor to me. The work of the Holy Spirit. How do we see it? How do we understand it? Because it's one of those mystical things out here. In Christianity, there is that complexity of the deity of God and trying to explain God in three persons. Now understand this simple little principle. If you really understood God and everything about God, you'd be trying to sit where God is. Because whenever we think we get to somebody's equal, we think that we should be in their place. And Christianity is complex. We try to make it simple, but the reality is, it is not simple. If you want to really understand how complex it is, take one Greek word, go back to its root word, and begin to study it in its root word, and then start bringing it up through the ages of how that word may have changed. When we begin to try to explain God, it becomes very complicated. And a lot of people, they don't want to talk about religion or talk about God. Why? It's complicated. I just want to believe what I believe, even though what I believe may be wrong. That's what I believe. And religion can be very complicated. Christianity is very complicated. And when you try to give an explanation of God, when anthropology is used, or the defense of your faith is being used, because you're being challenged, what do you do? Apologetics is the defense Of the gospel or the defense of anything. And many Christians do not know how to defend what they believe so therefore the statement is well that's what I believe. Well that's what Buddha says, that's what Muslims says, that's what any other group say too, that's what I believe. But how do you get into a discussion then And explain why you believe what you believe. How many of you could go to scripture. And really back what you believe. See your opinion is always your opinion. But when you take it away from yourself. And into the scripture. Now you're believing something else. I was with three or four men a couple of days ago, and one of the men told me, well, that book is just written by other men. I said, it is? Can you tell me where you got that from? Well, everybody know that the book's just written by other men. Well, why don't you go to Second Peter 1, verse 20. This interpretation is not of men, but they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. I know why I believe what I believe. I believe God breathed this word. The Holy Spirit gave it into the hearts and minds of men. They penned it. They wrote it down. And I'm able to read it. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, by faith, believe it. And put it into practice. Now, just saying what I believe. The real question is, can you really defend what you believe? And that even comes to the person of the Holy Spirit, and that's why Christianity sometimes is really jumped on by other religions, because you have this triune God, and they only have one God. Who is this person called the Holy Spirit? The Jehovah witness come to a point to just say it's a force, and it's not it; it's a person? is not just a force it's God now here comes the craziness have you ever experienced the Holy Spirit in your life if not he's just a myth to you too he's not even really God You ignore him. You're ignorant of him. And what we do do is exactly what scripture tells us not to do. Scripture says lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge God. And what will he do? He'll direct your path. But what's the thing we do? We lean on our intelligence and our own understanding. And that's our biggest failure. That's our biggest failure. Now the scripture puts it this way also. Is that you can gain the whole world through your intelligence. You can be wealthy, you can be successful through intelligence. I don't want to kick education. Get all the education you can get. Be as intelligent as you can be. Read as much as you can read. But understand this it can't hold a light to what the Holy Spirit can teach you. And that's our problem, maybe even in the church today. Is that we have done much like what Tozer has suggested. One of the great mistakes made by Christians is to imagine that by coming to God in a new birth and receiving the spirit of adoption, we know all we can about God, the Holy Spirit. In the Old Testament, yes. The Holy Spirit came upon people. The Holy Spirit was the one that gave the wisdom, the knowledge, the prophets, the words to speak of God. Worked in David's life. Worked in a Samson. Worked in a Moses. But the Holy Spirit was given to special individuals for a special service. Now in the New Testament, the Holy Spirit is given through a promise. Through a promise. And the promise was that everyone who would receive the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior would receive the Holy Spirit as a gift. Now, understand, the Holy Spirit is not the one to make you, Ah! He's not the one to make you up and down. That's a choice. But the Holy Spirit's main purpose is to unite us with a God who created us and educate us in a life that he wants us to live. That he wants us to live. The Holy Spirit is given through promise to all who believe You can read those verses, write them down. He's given through this promise that he would come into the life of every believer. Now the purpose of his coming is to dwell in us and unite us personally with God. That we can say, I have a personal what? Relationship with who? With God. Just saying that sounds foolish, doesn't it? And some people will even ask, well, when's the last time you seen him? When's the last time you really talked to him face to face? Intimacy with God is as close as you want it to be. I can't prove it, but when I was working at Chrysler, trying to make a decision about school here or whatever, or what I'm supposed to do, leave let's stay. I know the very presence of God himself stood before me. I can't prove that. My goal in life was never to be a pastor. My goal in life was to be heating and air condition, on my own company, be retired by 50. Some of you have heard me say that before. And even one day after, I was called to pastor this church. Some people who knew me, they called me, can you come work on our furnace? And I went, and I'm up in their attic, so they had a counterflow, and I'm working on that thing, and the Lord said, last one. I'll take care of you. I sold my break. I sold my equipment to a friend that I knew. Okay, Lord, I'm totally dependent upon you now. If the church thing don't work, I have to do something else. But God has been faithful all these years. You have to experience God through the Holy Spirit for yourself, because nobody on this earth can convince you of the reality of God, but the Holy Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit, He comes to unite us With God. Understand. One of the things that we're using today. We try to use our intellect. Intellect. Does not unite you. With God. And God is not. Against you being a very. Scholarly. Intellectual. Person. Matter of fact, he wants to use that. Not in the way that you think, but he wants to use that. But it's only the Holy Spirit that can really introduce you to God, not your intellect. A lot of professors in philosophy believe the Bible from this perspective it's a good history book, it's a good poetic book, it's a good book of literature. But it is not God's word. Our intelligence is used by the Holy Spirit to communicate what he has revealed to us concerning the things of God to someone else. He has revealed to us concerning the things of God that we might reveal them, talk about them to someone else. That you can sit around your dinner table and talk to your children about the things of God and what God is able to do and the love of God. You can talk to your next door neighbor when things are a little rough and things aren't going well about the God that gives you hope and you can share that hope with them and you can remind them they're not forgotten. But God loved them and he demonstrated that love through his son Jesus Christ. intellect is used by the Holy Spirit to communicate to people. But our intellect will never on its own give us the ability to live the Christian life or really be united with God. And a lot of Christians are trying to live a Christian life through their intellect of being good and kind and gracious, and all that's good. But it takes the power of the Holy Spirit to live the Christian life and not back down from it. To learn as a Christian To believe God's word and after you've done all else, just stand on God's word. Don't have to reason it out. Don't have to set your own direction. If God's word says it and you're confident this is where God has you, you stand there. And you trust him. You trust him. He adds spiritual knowledge to our intellect, and that's what the Holy Spirit does. He adds spiritual knowledge to our intellect. That intellect cannot give you spiritual knowledge. Akron, you cannot really give you spiritual knowledge. A seminary cannot really give you spiritual knowledge. But the Holy Spirit can. He is the Spirit who unites and teaches us of God and the life God has for us. Go to Jeremiah 29. Jeremiah 29. Then we're going to jump back up. Twenty nine eleven. Many of you know it by heart. But there's a word I want to pull out of here and ask you, who could know it but the Holy Spirit? Who could really know it but the Holy Spirit? 29, verse 11. He said, For I know the plans I have for you. And, and God is saying to you I know my plans I have for you. The question is, now he got to relate those plans to who? How many of you have plans for your children? I used to tell my kids, two plans around the dinner table. You can go to Bridge after you finish high school, or you can go to college. And it wasn't the college of your choice. I'm the one who picked the college, because I'm the one who had to pay The white bridge, you had a choice. Live under it or jump off of it. My job was to put you, put your feet on a college campus I couldn't make you learn. But they all were going to go to college and what you do with that now becomes what you put into it. Now, God says He has a plan for us. A plan for your children never works unless your children are obedient. A plan never works unless the people that the plan is for are willing to follow the plan. And God simply says, boy, for I know the plans, not just one, but plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you. You, and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope. I catch his last word. And the future. Only God the Holy Spirit knows your future. And can take the plans of God. And implement those plans in your life. Nobody else can do that. Only God can implement the plans he has for you. I studied so bad that when I was calling around to go to school. I had three schools say no, no, no. Dr. Grant, down to Coal Falls College, he said, You come to class, prepare your heart and mind, and let the Lord take care of your speaking. Because I couldn't speak two words without stumbling all over the place. Or I get stuck on a hard H or an A, and I drag it out. Even today, check a I have a hard time with. And, and, and those are words, as I'm speaking sometimes, I'm trying to avoid certain words because I know they will stop me and I'll be up here saying them out rather than just speaking them out. But God has done a work. And God wants to do a work in every one of our lives if we align. Now go back up with me to first Corinthians. 1 through 18, 18 through 20, chapter 1, 18 through 20. Because this is the area many of us sometimes, boy, we have a hard time with. Because we don't want to seem foolish. The moment you start speaking about God in front of people, You talk about the Lord Jesus Christ. People think you are crazy, foolish. You just lost your mind. You need something else. So he says in 18, For the message of the cross is foolishness. Foolishness to who? To the world. To the average person, the Bible, to believe it, is foolish. It's stupid for an intelligent person to believe the Bible. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. So he tells us to which group it really sounds foolish to. It's to those who don't know him Those who are perishing, those who are dying in their sin, and after they have gained the whole world, they've accomplished nothing. So the scripture says, What if a man was to gain the whole world? What has he really gained? And he lost his soul. So as I watch TV with some of these genius cons that I've been watching and some of the Chinese empires I've been watching, and The whole thing, my wife, she asked a question. uh, Harry is the number fifth in line for the throne? I said, if you've been watching some of these movies with me, you would understand it. Because in almost every one of the movies, if there was one that was a distance off from sitting in that seat, he had to figure out a way to kill all the others. That he could get in the seat. And why the people accepted him in the seat. Because he had royal blood. But he had to kill off all the others to get there if he was fifth. So Harry would just have to devise a plan to kill off four others. And he'd be next in line. Now, that sounds crazy to us. But you look in the history, you see it. You see it. It's there. Brother would kill brother in order just to have power and sit on a throne. Some would even kill their father because he's of older age and they're next and they couldn't wait. And they devise a plan to kill their father in order just to have a seat of power. And the Lord says, yes, your intelligence, your successfulness, may gain you a large portion of the world. But what have you gained if you lose your soul? Nothing. Nothing. And he goes on, he says in that verse, to those who are perishing, the message is foolish but to us who are being saved. And, and I want you to underline that, being saved. We are being saved. We are constantly being delivered. Moment by moment, as we live, God is constantly delivering us, saving us, rescuing us. Why we are being saved, it is the power of God. He didn't say anything about intellect, he didn't say anything about your power, he just said simply the power of God that is keeping you from day to day, moment by moment. He goes on a little further, he says, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. So he comes back and focuses on the world, on those who consider themselves wise, those who don't need him, those who don't need his counsel, those who don't need his teaching. He says, I'll destroy their wisdom. I'll destroy their wisdom. Why? They're leaning on their intellect. They're leaning on the education side. They're leaning. And they've excluded him because they've learned how to connive, how to cheat, how to deceive, how to trick. Catch this. How many of you have taught yourself to say the right things to the right people at the right time? Not always being honest, but you know what they want to hear, so you say what they want to hear in order to get where you want to be, rather than just being honest. And he goes on and he says, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. The intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? Tom, and some of you who Brother Beecher remember Tom Hartley. A couple of you who have been around here for years remember a Tom Hartley. Tom Hartley would come to my house way before I was a pastor. He would sit in our living room. We have about 20 people in our living room doing Bible study. What we didn't know was this. Tom only had a third grade education, and his wife taught him the scriptures before he came. And she would, Mary would always sit right next to Tom in a Bible study. In case Tom got stuck. Now Tom had a memorization like an elephant. Once Tom heard it, once Tom had it, Tom would quote you the address, the book, and he'd go to it just like, boy, he was reading that thing. But it wasn't until Tom was ready to die, that really learned Tom really couldn't read in a third grade education. He sat on our elders board out at Stowe, because the church I used to attend when I was coming up with Stowe Alliance Fellowship out in Stowe. number of businessmen sat on that board. Three of the vice presidents at Goodyear and Goodrich. Different ones sat on that board. And there's Tom with a third grade education sitting with men with master's degrees in engineering and and having this and business degrees. And sometimes Tom let them talk and then Tom come out with a verse. We're planning this, but shouldn't we consult God's word first? Shouldn't we see what God says about this subject Shouldn't our desire be as follow as closely as we can to what God's pattern is? And everybody would stop. And somehow this man with a third grade education would captivate the attention of those with a much higher education. Amazing. Because what God doesn't look at, he doesn't look at what's before your name. God looks at your heart, and if you want to do his will, that's all, that's all. And he says he will make those who think they are wise really foolish, and he'll frustrate them. Go to First Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 10, look what the scripture says. And this is where I'm at sometimes, and I have to ask the question, just like I did in prayer. Am I ready to be a fool for Christ? Are you ready to be a fool for Christ? Are you ready to answer something to somebody that, boy, it may not be the right setting, the, the right time, but are you willing to say no, because of my principles as a Christian, I won't do this? Or would you be willing to say, no, I feel God is leading me to do this? And he simply says, we are fools for Christ, but you are so wise in Christ. We are fools for Christ, but you are so wise in Christ. 2 Corinthians 11:19. look what Paul says to those who are trying to challenge him and Eleven nineteen. he accepts how they think about him. And sometimes you can't change a person's mind until they see your behavior, until they can catch on to your wisdom, your knowledge. And they understand it didn't come from Princeton, Harvard, Brown, University of Akron, or Kent, And they ask the question, where did you learn that from? And the dumbest answer sometimes, the Bible. The Bible. And that's the part where I'm not ashamed to be able to say that. 11.19, look at what he says. Let me get my eyes fixed on it. got to find it here, 2 Corinthians 11.16, come on down to 19. Boy, you gladly put up with, now look what Paul says, you gladly put up with who? Fools. Since you are so wise, that wise people will put up with foolish people who are called who? Christians. The question is, for us, are we willing to be a fool for Christ? Are we willing to speak where it sometimes will make us look foolish in order to speak something that we believe that is right? Let me give you an example. You're in a group. And in that group, you may have a gay person. In that group, you may have people who believe it's okay to cohabitate and, and just live together because they're grown and, 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 and they're wise enough to lead their own life. And it's strange how it's coming out today. We find ourselves in those kind of situations more than we would like to. Would you be bold enough to say that's not what God ordained? God ordained a woman and a man to be a husband and a wife. No woman in the Bible is ever referred to as a what? As a husband. No man in the Bible is ever referred to as a woman or wife. Now sometimes we're quiet when we're in a group of people and we know they don't believe scripture. And we won't say a a thing. And oftentimes we say we don't want to offend nobody. We don't want to hurt nobody. Or we come up with this favorite little one. Everybody has a right to do what they want to do until that gay man mess with your gay mess with your son until that gay woman mess with your daughter until something affects us personally we're not ready to what? say very much about it and God gives us opportunities when we're with people to just speak up and share his plan for life. His plan, not ours, but his. And time is beating me up. Go over to Philippians one twenty-seven. The Holy Spirit is to educate every believer. Philippians one twenty-seven. Now, this is where Christians have to take the scripture in a very profound way. But the reason we don't want to use scripture, because scripture really does change our behavior and our conduct and our attitude. The scripture says in Proverbs 17, a man... As a man thinketh, what? So is he. So the first job that the Holy Spirit has in our life is to change our way of thinking or our way of reasoning. Because we think like the world, we reason like the world. And therefore, because we think and reason like the world, we function like the world. And the Holy Spirit... Says, no, you've been called out of the world, you've been called out of darkness, but now we got to change this mind and how we think. Because as we think, so we do. He says in verse 27 Whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Whatever situation you find yourself in, whatever circumstances may be going on in your life, whatever trouble, whatever it is taking place, you conduct yourself in a way that glorifies Christ, that glorifies the gospel, that speaks. Now, I'm going to hit a sore spot for some. It is not so much what you say, it is how you live and what you do. Sometimes we're so busy witnessing with this, we forget about how people see us. And the most important thing is how people see you. Not so much what you say. If you're not living it, stop talking it. Live it first. And because you're living it, you got something to say. Because the Holy Spirit's working in your life. And he simply says there Boy, well, whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come to see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel. But you're standing and you're not ashamed of it. Go over to go ahead over to Timothy three 1 Timothy three fifteen. The Holy Spirit is going to educate you. He's going to change your thinking, your pattern, and and for us that can be fearful and strange. To trust God. If you never trusted God, it's a fearful and strange feelings that you have because we just want to do what? Lean on our own understanding, do it the way I figure it out. Whether if I have to lie, if I have to cheat, if I have to do this, if I have to steal, the end results is what really matters. It's not how you get there that matters. But that you got there. In 1 Timothy. Chapter 3. and Verse 15. Look at what he says. Oh boy. If I am delayed. You will know how people ought. How people ought. To conduct themselves. In God's what? Household. Or how people should conduct themselves who believe in God, in God's household, which is the church of the living God. Now listen to what he says. Which is the pillars and the foundation of the truth. The only people who really have godly truth is the group that is called Christians. We are the pillars of that truth. But we demonstrate that truth by how we live. If that truth is false, then you will not be able to succeed in life. If that truth is true and real, you'll be able to conquer life and live in the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's where God opens up doors that man can't open. That's when God does things that nobody else can do. How can I illustrate it? I'm going to use John next door. John some years ago was out in the front yard, and John's deceased. And um, and I asked John, I said, John, you're a very religious man, because John had every statue of Christ and of saints and of this and of that in that house. He was loaded down with religious stuff. And I said, John... You're very religious, but do you know Christ? he said, what are you talking about, Pastor? I said, have you ever in your life simply said, Jesus, come into my life? Not just believing that you believe in him, and that's okay, but have you ever asked him to come in? See, it's a difference. You know somebody's knocking at your door. You know somebody's outside on your front porch just abandoning. The question is, have you opened the door and asked them what? And remember, even though you opened the door, you may not ask them the what. And with Christ, you want to open the door of your life and ask them to totally come in. So me and John went from that, maybe a few months later, I don't know how much longer. John, you want to sell your home? He said, "Get an appraisal." So, boy, the church paid for an appraisal for the property. John wasn't willing to go by the appraisal. He wanted eighty-five thousand. John, that house not worth eighty-five thousand. Okay, waited. John died. Then his two nephews that he may have only seen a half a dozen times in his life became heir of John's property. And somehow they knew that we had asked about it. And they called me and they said, Pastor Brown, you're still interested in the property next door. How about meeting with our lawyer? The appraisal price on that home was thirty-six thousand. John wanted eighty-five thousand. We got all the property for fifteen thousand. That's only God at work, but waiting on God. Now we've been wanting the house tore down for some time. I just got information. Most likely, the city will tear it down in October. Now, here comes the issue. We've been ready to start building the new daycare next door for over a year. We've had requirements put on us by the bank. You can't do this. You can't do that financially. You can't do And we've been holding that for over a year. How many of you understand God's timing? Wait upon the Lord, the scripture says. Be anxious for nothing. Be anxious for nothing. Wait upon the Lord. When you wait upon God and his timing, it is surprising how everything slips together. How it works. And you can't explain it. Other than that, it was God involved. He'll do it if you'll wait on him. That clock says 10 till, isn't it? (laughs) We need some new batteries in that clock. (laughs) One, One more scripture and we're done. Romans chapter 1, verse 16, because this is where a lot of Christians are at. And the Holy Spirit has to move us from this position. Remember one, we're fools for Christ. I see this played out even in family life. When the children are shamed, of the parents. They won't introduce parents. They won't ask parents out. They want parents to stay in the background. They're ashamed of their parents. They won't invite people over to the house, their friends over to the house, because they're ashamed of their living conditions. And when you're ashamed of something, It causes you to stop. It doesn't give you the right, and most times we don't. We don't deny it. We don't say it's not real. But we're not free to really invite and share with people our lives. Now, while I'm on that, let me say this to you. I don't care what's happened to you in life. Until you get past the shame of it, you will never share it and move forward. Once you can get past the shame of it and acknowledge this is not my fault, this was somebody else's doing. I was involved, it happened to me, yes. Yes. And I'm ashamed of it, it will freeze you right there. So, Paul says in verse 16, I am not ashamed of the gospel. What Paul is telling me is this at one point, he was ashamed of it, he was against it, he was fighting against it, and he was ashamed that Jews would follow such a teaching. And Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God. Where did Paul learn that from? He learned it from the Holy Spirit that this gospel is the power, this word of God is the power of God that is applied to our lives through the Holy Spirit. I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. First to the Jews, then to the Gentiles. And see, what we have to learn is that God's word is powerful. God said, have not I said it? Have not I done it? But if you only see God's word as a religious book, but it has no power behind it, if you believe it, you just believe it, but it it doesn't change life, it doesn't change situations, it doesn't cause anything to happen. But if you believe that God's word is true and it comes from him and you act upon it, then it becomes the responsibility of God to bring his word to light in your life. And that's done by the Holy Spirit. Father, as we go through this series of the Holy Spirit, would you minister to us, open our hearts, open our eyes, help us to see what the Holy Spirit is doing even when he's the silent person. Paul had to learn not to be ashamed of the gospel. But Paul also had to learn that the gospel was the power of God and he could have only learned that through the person of the Holy Spirit. We can only learn how powerful your word is through your Holy Spirit. Lord, sometimes we're ashamed of you. Sometimes we're ashamed of your word. Sometimes, Lord, we don't want to speak up. Sometimes, Lord, we are scared to speak up. But, But, Lord, give us the strength to stand And to speak when you tell us to speak in the power of your Holy Spirit. Minister to us, I pray. Let us not be Christians who are scared to believe you. But help us, O God, to be men and women of God who will stand firmly upon your word and live it out. To know that you are the God who will supply our every need. Not our intellect. Not who we know per se here on earth. But that Lord, you will do it. For your glory. And for your praise. Change our lives today. Begin a new work in us. Open our mind, open our hearts to you. And Lord, help us to be a people of what your word says. We walk by faith, not by sight. And we'll give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Let the church. Let the church say amen. amen. Let the church